This evening we're going to consider deliverance from a foreign land. Deliverance from a foreign land. Looking at Genesis chapter 30 and 31. In recent weeks we've been following the anything but ordinary, anything but mundane life of Jacob. It's a life filled with intrigue and you wonder what's going to happen next when you follow the, the, the story, the life of Jacob. Jacob, at the instigation of his mother, Rebecca, secured for himself his father Isaac's blessing, you may recall, and he did that through deception and lies. It always God's, was God's will that Jacob should receive the blessing, um, but he, he most certainly did it in very unorthodox ways, lying and um, deceiving his father when he pretended to be his older brother Esau. The father Isaac had intended to give the blessing to Esau, but Jacob secured that blessing through deception. And we've seen Jacob flee from the murderous wrath of his older brother Esau, and he fled to his mother's country of nativity, Haran, in Mesopotamia. In Haran, Jacob contracted to work seven years for his uncle Laban in order to have Laban's daughters Rachel's Rachel's hand in marriage. He agreed to work seven years for Rachel. However, you may recall that the big deceiver Jacob was himself deceived. When Laban brought to him Rachel's older sister Leah and unknowingly Jacob went in unto her, thus making Leah and not Rachel his wife. In the morning when Jacob discovered that he was with Leah and not Rachel, he remonstrated with Laban, he he argued with Laban and Laban explained that it was the custom in his land to give the firstborn daughter in marriage first. That's something that Laban had omitted to mention when Jacob agreed to work seven years for Rachel and not Leah. Why didn't Laban tell him this in the first place? He didn't. He just allowed Jacob to work seven years and then he very sneakily um, gave Leah uh, to Jacob to be his wife. Anyway, after a week of being married to Leah, Jacob married Rachel after agreeing to work another seven years for Laban. Last of all, we saw that during that second seven-year period of time, Jacob had four sons by Leah. He had one son by Rachel, two by Leah's handmaid, and two by Rachel's handmaid, totalling 11 of the eventual 12 patriarchs of the children of Israel. As I told you, it's quite some story, isn't it? The story of Jacob. This evening we shall take a very broad look at a comparatively long passage of scripture and we shall consider certain things that were said, certain things that happened over a period of six more years. So we've already seen 14 years, Jacob at the home of his um, his uncle and now his father-in-law Laban, we're, we're having another, we're looking at another six years. 
until finally Jacob and his family departed from Haran and they headed back to the promised land of Canaan. First of all, we can look at the deliverance of Israel, the deliverance of Israel. We've already considered in this introductory recap that I've just given you that from the time Jacob arrived in Haran, he was taken advantage of by his uncle Laban. There's no doubt about it. As Jacob said to Rachel and Leah in chapter 31, verse 7, your father have deceived me and changed my wages ten times. No reason to think he was lying there. No reason to think he was exaggerating. We just uh, read that's what Jacob said, that Laban had changed his wages ten times, deceiving him. As has already been said, Jacob worked 14 years for Laban in order to marry Laban's eldest daughter, Leah, and also his youngest daughter, Rachel. Or perhaps since it was always Rachel that he loved and not really Leah, he actually worked 14 years to have Rachel's hand in marriage. Having been tricked into marrying Leah first. I don't know about that second period of seven years after he he married his sweetheart Rachel. I don't know about the second um, lot of seven years, but the first lot of seven years leading up to him marrying Leah when he thought he was going to marry Rachel, they seemed but a few days to him. Such was his great love for Rachel and he considered it well worth doing, working seven years to have Rachel's hand in marriage. The thing is, he ended up having Leah and then he worked another seven years in order to um, have Rachel. However, it has to be said, there is no scriptural precedent for what uh, what Jacob was required to do by Laban, working all those years just to get married. It's not biblical. We don't find it in the Bible other than in our passage. Laban was simply enriching himself at Jacob's expense by dishonourable and dishonest means. At the end of 14 years, Jacob asked Laban to release him, but Laban, who had prospered in those 14 years that Jacob had worked for him, said to him in chapter 30 and verse 27, I pray thee, if I have found favour in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord have blessed me for thy sake. Laban had prospered greatly with Jacob working for him for those 14 years, looking after his livestock. Consequently, another agreement was reached, which, as I've already said, it resulted in Jacob um, working another six years for Laban. And during that time, he was shamefully treated as Jacob continued to look after Laban's livestock. You'd have to wonder why Jacob even considered working, continuing to work for Laban, given that Laban was anything but a fair an honest boss. He didn't sound like a good person to work for. Even so, Jacob agreed to work for him for another six years. And the answer to that can be seen in chapter 30 
and verse 30, let's have a look at that one. Chapter 30, verse 30. And this is Jacob speaking, he says, For it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it is now increased unto a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. And now, when shall I provide for mine own house also? There you go, it's in that last bit there. I've already said that um, Laban, incre- he, he prospered greatly with Jacob working for him. But now the time has come when Jacob's thinking, I really need to start providing for my own family. And he had quite a big family, didn't he? Two wives, two concubines, and uh, 11 sons at that time. So he, he needed to start providing for them. The terms of the agreement were such that Jacob would remove the speckled and spotted cattle and goats and the brown sheep for himself. And Laban would, from that time onwards, have the unspotted um, animals, the ones with no markings, no stripes or, or anything on them. And, and so that was the agreement that was reached. However, the very day that Jacob's contract of employment was agreed, Laban removed all the speckled, spotted and brown animals. In other words, all the animals that should have gone to Jacob as wages and he placed them with his sons a good distance away. Not a very nice thing to do, was it? On the very day that that contract was reached, that agreement was reached, Laban took all that should have gone to Jacob and hid them far away from Jacob with his sons. Even so, Jacob prospered greatly by partially peeling the bark off off various twigs, revealing the white on those twigs. You know, if you start peeling the bark off, you're going to see the white underneath. He didn't peel all the bark off, just in places. So the, the white was showing in various places on the twigs. And he placed those twigs in watering troughs. When the stronger animals in his care came to drink water and the females were on heat or in season, they mated with the partly white and partly non-white twigs in view. That resulted in ring-straked, speckled, spotted animals being born and claimed by Jacob as his own because that was the agreement that he'd reached with Laban. The spotted, ring-straked and speckled animals would be Jacob's wages and this is precisely what these animals were producing every time they mated with those partly stripped twigs in view in the watering troughs and stronger animals at that. When Jacob did this he made sure that um, it was the stronger animals that were mating at the time which would in turn produce strong offspring. So that strategy resulted in Jacob's flocks being more numerous than Laban's and also stronger than Laban's. At first glance, and looking at what Jacob did in order to acquire much cattle, you might think that Jacob was up to his old tricks again, busy being deceitful yet again. 
when actually it was the Lord who was making provision for him prior to his departure from the promised land. It's important to understand that very soon, the Lord, I've mentioned this before, the Lord would change Jacob's name. What would he change his name to? Israel. That's going to be coming up soon in our studies. Jacob, was he, he was soon to have a name change to Israel. That tells you something in itself. And you can see that. It's in chapter 32, verse 28. When we get to it, I don't know when, in a few weeks' time maybe, this, the, this is the angel of the Lord, chapter 32, verse 28. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. See it there. We need to bear this in mind. Jacob wasn't just anybody. He was very special. Don't forget he'd received promises from the Lord, great promises from God. We've already seen the promises that the Lord made to Jacob back in chapter 28. Let's have a look at them again. I want us to realise just how how important and how special to God, in, in God's purposes, Jacob was. Chapter 32, sorry, chapter 28, verse 13. Jacob was having a dream and the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. <clears throat> the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. At this time, Jacob was in Canaan. He wasn't in his mother's land of nativity, Aaron. He was in the land of promise in Canaan. And the Lord's giving that promise to him there. The land whereon thou, thou liest, the land of Canaan, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For you might, you could underline and highlight this, it's so relevant for this evening's study. I will not leave thee, until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Very clearly, the Lord was with Jacob. I will not leave thee, he says to Jacob. In those early verses, that in those verses that I just read to you, where the Lord appeared to Abraham and um, made the promises to Abraham, the land whereon Jacob was, Lying, the land of Canaan was in the first instance promised to Abraham. It had already been promised to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. The Lord would in time to come give that land that was promised to Abraham's natural descendants, the children of Israel. So that land of Canaan, the promise was given to Abraham uh, that it would be given to his descendants, his natural descendants. That same promise was given to Isaac, then it was given to Jacob, the land that thou liest, 
I will give to thy seed, natural seed, thy descendants, the children of Israel. Jacob's name was going to be changed to Israel and the land where he was lying would be given to his descendants, the children of Israel. Furthermore, the Lord promised blessings throughout the whole world through faith in Jacob's seed, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, can you see just how much the Lord was with Jacob? There are various verses in our passage that tell us just how much the Lord was with Jacob. Look again at chapter 31, verses 4 through to... I'll just read a little bit here, perhaps. Verse 4. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not towards me as before, but the God of my father have been with me. He was right there. The God of my father have been with me. And look at verse 9. Thus God have taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled and grizzled, and the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see. All, this, is the, this is the angel of God speaking here, the angel of the Lord. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see, all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled and grizzled, for I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. Can you see that the Lord was with Jacob and the Lord was providing for Jacob before he left the foreign land? The time had now come for Jacob to depart from a foreign land and return to the promised land after 20 years, the Lord who was very much with him would ensure that he would depart the foreign land having amassed great riches. Look at verse 43 of chapter 30. And the man increased exceedingly. This is Jacob. The man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maidservants and men servants and camels and asses. The Lord had provided for him. Which takes us on to our next, uh, our next point rather. That we've seen the deliverance of Israel, the man, Jacob, who was to be called Israel. We've seen the Lord providing for him upon his departure from the promised land, uh, from the foreign land to the promised land of Canaan. Now we're going to consider the deliverance of the children of Israel. The circumstances of God's deliverance from oppression in a, from, in a foreign land of a man whose name was Jacob and would soon be changed to Israel would be repeated about 700 years later with the deliverance of his descendants, the children of Israel, from their oppressors in Egypt. It's a familiar pattern, this. They too would depart for the promised land of Canaan, having received great riches from God at the hands of their oppressors. Concerning the deliverance of the children of Israel, 
700 or so years after Jacob was delivered from the foreign land, the Lord said to Moses, I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. You can almost imagine that the Lord saying that to Jacob in our passage tonight. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. I love that passage. That's from um, Exodus chapter 6. And that was about 700 years after the deliverance of Jacob, who was to be called Israel, from Haran, from the, if you like, the oppression of his father-in-law, Laban. Deliverance into the promised land with great riches. When the time came for the children of Israel to depart from the foreign land, we're told in Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, that they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver. I use that word very loosely, borrowed. It's not as if they ever returned it. They borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold and clothes or raiment. And the Lord gave the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. So just like their ancestor Israel, the Lord provided for the children of Israel at the hands of their enemy when they departed for the promised land. However, the history of the Jews, as we know, is one of continual rebellion against God. In a nutshell, what did they do? They forsook the Lord who redeemed them, redeemed them, and they turned to worthless idols. That is the history of the children of Israel, one of rebellion and turning to idols. Their rebellion reached its apex about 2,000 years ago with their rejection and killing of the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even after Jesus returned to his glory, the Jewish council endeavoured to stop the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ from proclaiming his sacrificial death and his triumphal resurrection from the dead. Nothing has changed. That was 2,000 years ago. That is the history of, of the children of Israel, one of rebellion against the Lord and against his Christ. Nothing has changed. Even now, the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, is as determined as ever with its opposition to the Messiah. Only last week, two politicians introduced a bill in the Knesset, the Jewish parliament, that if passed, would have outlawed Christian evangelism and it would have imposed prison sentences. 
which is something that the Apostle Paul had first-hand knowledge and experience of in his time. It's still very much the desire of modern-day Israel. That bill has been thrown out, for now at any rate. It's time to move on to our final point. Having considered the deliverance of the man Israel, Jacob, and then the deliverance of the children of Israel, we shall now consider the deliverance of the Israel of God. The Israel of God. What we've been considering for some months now, from Genesis chapter 12 to where we are today in our studies of Genesis, must rank of some of the most important history that you will ever learn. No exaggeration there. I don't think you'll learn anything more important um, if you studied history forevermore than what we've been considering. Because it all points to a glorious fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ, the history that we've been studying. We've considered the promise of God, of blessings to all families of the earth, being given to Abraham and his seed, then to Abraham's son Isaac and his seed, and the same promise then being given to Isaac's son Jacob and his seed. In all cases, that seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the promise takes us to Jesus, the promised seed. This evening, we considered the deliverance of Jacob with riches to the promised land of Canaan. And it has been pointed out that God would soon change his name to Israel. We've also considered the deliverance of the descendants of Jacob, the children of Israel, with riches again to the promised land of Canaan. All of those historical events pointed to an ultimate fulfilment in Jesus, who not only is the seed of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but also he is the perfect and sinless Israel of God. And that those other Israels, those other Israels that we've concerned, Jacob and the children of Israel, they were anything but perfect and sinless. Nevertheless, they pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Israel of God. They were a picture of Jesus. You might like to turn to the prophecy of Isaiah. Keep your finger in, at least I think you keep your finger in Genesis 30. But anyway, turn to Isaiah 49. You'll see what I mean. I'm going to read the first six verses of Isaiah 49. You figure out for yourself who this is about. Okay, verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother have he made mention of my name. It's a bit of a clue there, isn't it, in verse 1. And he have made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. Have he hid me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver? Have he hid me and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So 
The one who has been called from the womb, from the bowels of his mother, is my servant Israel, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Verse 4. Then I said, I have laboured in vain, I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light thing for thou, that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. There are two Israels going on there in that passage. One of those Israels is Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord who will be uh, a light um, a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. It's a small thing that Jesus uh, should redeem the preserved of Israel. God would also, that's the children of Israel, God would also give him to be a light unto the Gentiles. We see Jesus here, he is the true Israel of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. All these other Israels that we're looking at, the children of Israel, the man whose name was Jacob and changed to Israel, it all points to a fulfilment in Christ. This is the whole purpose of the Bible, to take us to Jesus. And this is precisely what we've been, we've been on that journey for for months now. Indeed, well, from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, but most more, most recently since the promise of blessings was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 blessings of um, great blessings to all families of the earth in Abraham and his seed a promise that was repeated to Isaac and then repeated to Jacob it has its fulfillment in Christ he is the Israel of God When you consider the Son of God, when he stepped down from his heavenly throne and he came down into this dark world of sin, he was despised, he was rejected by men, he was a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with grief. We've already considered how wicked men rejected him. The Jews rejected him and they crucified him. However, that was done with the foreknowledge of God and according to God's predetermined counsel. The fact of the matter is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And when he was nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up to die, he was wounded for the transgressions of all who would ever trust in him. Furthermore, on the third day he rose again for their justification which means that all who trust in the crucified and risen Saviour stand before God, clothed in his righteousness. The Son of God who made himself of no reputation and had nowhere to lay his head when he dwelt amongst men, he returned to heavenly glory with great riches. We've seen Jacob 
leaving the foreign land and going into the promised land, having amassed great riches. We've seen the children of Israel leaving the oppression of Egypt, going, heading off for the promised land with great riches. The, 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 the Egyptians, their oppressors, gave them all that stuff just to get rid of them. But they, they were given all sorts of precious things on their departure from Egypt. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he returned to heavenly glory with great riches, having been highly exalted by God and having been given power, all power in heaven and in earth. Now that the Lord Jesus Christ is seated, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God and all things are under his feet where he works all things for the good of his church. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can you see that Jesus is the undefiled Israel and along with his redeemed, that is people who were crucified with him and raised up to everlasting life in him, people who have trusted in him as repentant sinners, they make up the Israel of God. Whether they be natural descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob or not, it doesn't matter. The likes of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Likewise, when you die, dear Christian, you will go home to that heavenly country where you will be with Jesus. And even now, each one of you has been enriched. You too have been enriched by God who is with you. You've been enriched with riches infinitely greater than the combined riches of the whole world. Each one of you, that is. You have more riches than all the riches of the world. I'm talking about every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, your Lord. You have the forgiveness of all your sins. You have been delivered from hell's destruction and you have been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. You have everlasting life, which means that you will never perish. And you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ of the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Amen.